Come and dream with me. question were we in the amazon with your mum when she was researching spiders right before she died no we we're right here i'm your host ashley hopefully joining me today dylan blight yeah what a line <laughs> incredible uh we'll get into that later in the episode but uh yeah on today's episode we'll be discussing what's our watch history going with some film news giving some thumbs to trailers and talk about this week's top three kick things off over uh, you've probably seen on the podcast feed, we've got a spoiler cast up for The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Song of Snakes, uh, which obviously came out in cinemas last week. Uh, Dylan has a review up on the website where he gave it a 6.5 and said, uh, there's so much potential within the characters and world of this film. Unfortunately, what could have been an authentic look at the playing field from the side of the devil falls into the trap of trying to humanize a villain to make him more relatable for an audience that doesn't need does not need to relate to him. However, there's still a lot of love from the world itself, the lore, the cast, the set, the costumes, and more, all of being of the caliber expression of the franchise. So yeah, Dylan, do you enjoy do you enjoy the film? <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed the film. That's the thing, we go this whole every time. I enjoy the film, I can still give it like a six and a half. It's fine. It's, 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 six and a half is... It's okay. It's perfectly okay. Um, is is your main issue they were just too too nice to the villain? My main issue is that the in in an effort to make him likable and to get the audience to like him, um, it makes a lot of the uh, the stretches and turns that character takes, especially in the last like act of the movie, just seem like weird. Like it just. Trying to make him likable for the audience affects the overall structure, narrative structure of the film. No, I agree. I think, uh, well, I don't necessarily think it's that. I just think, yeah, I think, well, actually, I do think it's that. <laughs> because <laughs> obviously, the third act, the third act is the main issue I have with the film. It's just kind of out of place compared to the rest of the, the film. Obviously, it, there's a bit of a jump forward and a different setting and everything. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, the more because... I thought about it, the way I'd boil down the third act is the first two, because we recorded the spoiler cast and then like I finished my review afterwards, but the the first two thirds of the movie, I'm like, this guy, like I felt like the movie and understood that the audience knows that this guy's a bad guy and it didn't expect you to really like him. It was just that he's a bad guy who's like falling for this girl that he probably shouldn't and she's falling for him, but like they won't work out or whatever. And then the third act you sort of are expected to believe that he's actually doing the good things. Just, I don't know. You know, like it just felt, yeah. Yeah. It is a film where they're trying to straddle the line of the guy. Maybe he's going to be a good guy. Maybe he's going to be a bad guy. Uh, And then they kind of go hard on him being a bad guy in the third act, like kind of out of nowhere. Well, not out of nowhere because they're like, well, you know, he's a bad guy. Out of nowhere. (laughs) I mean, Without the context of knowing where his storyline is going, I feel like within the story of the movie, he just goes down that path like very quickly mm. um, and a bit too hard. But everything before that was really fantastic. And even that, I mean, visually it looks really good. I think it's uh, one of the better looking big budget movies we've seen this year. 
or a like big box big teen blockbuster, I guess. Mm. Um, Rachel Ziegler is really good. I, you know, this is probably the best thing I've seen in her yet. Yeah, I haven't seen West Side Story to be fair. Um, but yeah, they have really good chemistry. There's a lot of really nice moments. Um, the actual Hunger Games itself is very interesting because obviously it's sixty something years before the Hunger Games we've seen with uh, Jennifer Lawrence. So um, just tech wise and aesthetic wise, it's quite different. Um, yeah, a really good cast by Old Davis. She's fantastic playing this wild character, um, super villainous. Like, but not in the same villainous way. She's played a bunch of other villains <laughs> hmm. as well. Um, but yeah, it's 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 definitely worth checking out. Simmons, so I, I wouldn't recommend, even though we didn't enjoy the third act. You know, I I think there's enough there too for people to enjoy. You go check out Hunger Games: The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Dumb title. Uh, <laughs> also, dumb character names littered through this. You know. uh, but yeah, go check it out and say this. And then listen to our podcast. Uh, and then over on a very explosive day at Christmas, we reviewed uh, Xmas, a new Christmas film starring Leighton Meester and Robbie Amell that's uh, up right now on Prime Video. Um... It's a fun little rom-com about two exes who uh, break up and then the girlfriend gets invited to the boyfriend's house for Christmas after he thinks he's not going to be home for Christmas and then he comes home for Christmas and then shenanigans ensue. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it, it's it's a fun time. Uh, one word I would not describe it as, mediocre. Dylan, what do you think of the film? I really liked it. I think it's a lot of fun. I, as I said, it's probably <laughs> one of my favorite Christmas movies that's been re- released at least the last couple of years. Although I laughed a lot in it, so I thought the chemistry was good. Yeah, so I'd, I'd actually recommend if you're looking for a a fun rom commy Christmas film, uh, a new one. Here you go, served up. Top of the list so far. Go Xmas. All right, uh, Dylan, you finished watching season two of Gen V. Oh, well, season one of Gen V. <laughs> Yeah. It's good. It's good. <laughs> how much have you watched? I can't remember how it's Nicholas Price. Uh, I'm like I'm like, yeah, four episodes in, I've got to catch up. Yeah, okay. I don't want to say too much. Um no, it's really, really good. I actually think I enjoyed it more than the last season of The Boys. So um just maybe that's a combination of fresh characters and, and stuff like that. But yeah, the whole cast is really good. The mystery around the forest or whatever they call it is really good. Um, it's got some insanely weird and violent scenes, like that definitely doesn't let up on that. And then, um, yeah, the final episode sort of ties it all back into the boys universe in a really interesting way. So keen to see how these characters continue. Um, will they continue in this show? Will some of them end up being in the next season of boys? I don't know. You know, so we will see. Awesome. I'm definitely keen to catch up pretty soon. Because uh, end of year voting is very soon. Mm. Um, so I watched the first episode and a half. <laughs> and a half? Of, well, yeah, I got tired. So, yeah. uh, Monarch Legacy of Monsters, the new series on Apple TV Plus, which obviously is set in the um, Monsterverse. Yeah, called the Monsterverse, like the, yeah. The Monsterverse. Um, but yeah, it follows. Uh, there's two kind of parallel stories. Uh, there's a young woman called Kate uh, for who was in San Francisco when Godzilla attacked in the 
2014 movie, I want to say, mm-hmm. is the year. The Gareth Edwards um, The Gareth Edwards movie. She was in, New Ze- in San Francisco, Godzilla attacked. She was a school teacher. Uh, she was on a school, they were taking a school trip and they were traveling across a bridge or something. Um, the bridge gets taken out. She's trying to get these kids out of a school bus, uh, but she gets only about half out before the bus falls off the, right. <laughs> falls off the bridge. So she's kind of traumatized, uh, as you would expect, by the events of that. Um, cut to the present day, and she's traveling to Japan to try and find her father. Um, she's got keys to this apartment that they think he's been living in. And I guess, slight, slight spoilers, she gets there and she finds out her father has a second family. What? It's crazy. Uh, and then, you know, trying to find out, but they don't know what happened to him either. Um, they assumed he died in the Godzilla attack, but he wasn't there for the Godzilla attack. Um, in Japan. So it's them. Oh, the no, in San Francisco. Right. Yeah. So he's got a second family in Japan. Yeah. Uh, but they no, I thought you were like, oh, he, they thought he died in like the nuclear explosion from the start of, you know, how there's a no, yeah, yeah that's right. No, they think he died in San in Francisco. San Francisco right. uh, so the the son, his her newfound brother, thinks he would have lived if he had have been with them instead of with her in Japan or in San Francisco, or whatever. Um, so they find secret documents that their father had been hiding that make reference to Monarch. Mm. Uh, they get uh, his, you know, on-off girlfriend to try and find information, decrypt them or whatever. Uh, so then Monarch are after them to try and reclaim their files and whatever. Also cuts with uh, a, a sci- group of scientists back in the 1950s um, who are kind of starting Monarch, I guess, and kind of looking into the first motos. Uh, mut- mutu- mutos? I guess yeah, whatever they call them. The translations, yeah. whatever. Um so yeah, now, that, there's all so that. Is, is Kurt Russell the, the dead, the presumed dead husband? Or no. Like? No, he's someone else. No, he's somebody else. Okay, but then the, his son plays his young version in the 50s of whatever yes. character. So he's, yeah, White Russell plays uh, a young version in the 50s researching Mutos. Yeah. I assume he'll show up later. Kurt Russell will come into it, uh, probably somebody who knew their father. Okay, right. Gotcha. Um, and that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, I think it's really interesting so far. I mean, it, visually, it's not like some of the visuals are not fantastic. Uh, it opens with. I'm trying to. Okay, so it opens with John Goodman. Okay. From Skull Island. Yeah. <laughs> running and get being chased down by two monsters on Skull Island. And they don't look great. But then they do like the footage of the Godzilla attack and that kind of stuff, and that looks really From good. What, the first so it's film? a bit mixed. From yeah, but is it actually like, old footage or is it new? I footage? don't think it's old footage. It's I think it's new footage. footage. Oh, new footage. Okay, right. I think I think okay. I haven't watched the the movie since it was in cinema, so I I can't tell you shot for shot okay. whether it was they've inserted them into the bu- a bus falling or something. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, I think that it's obviously got a lot of smaller stories. It's like human story of like this girl trying to find what happened to her father and that kind of stuff. Um, and also dealing with her, her trauma. Like they do, uh, in Japan, they have like a bunch of, they've like implemented a bunch of tests and uh, procedures around God's, a potential Godzilla attack. Um, so like they hold a drill 
and she's like kind of freaking out because she has to come down into the subway while the all these sirens are blaring and that kind of stuff. Um, she gets uh, you know, comforted by her husband, her father's other partner. It's like kind of a weird dynamic. Um, but yeah, I think it's really good so far. Really interesting. Um, definitely keen to check. Finish the second episode, and then obviously each episode after that will be out weekly. So. Yeah. Yeah, definitely think they've got another interesting series over on their list over on Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, so last week, Dylan, you watched Escaping Twi- Twin Flames. Yeah. You said, oh, there is another series going on at the same time. That's about pretty much the same thing. Yep. So then you watched Desperately Seeking Soulmate, Escaping Twin Flames Universe. Yep. This, this is just, it's just, I, kept, I couldn't help myself. Um, to be fair, I'm watching this while doing other things. So, like, I, I want to say, like, I've I've I sunk a bunch of my time into <laughs> just devoting it to only watching this. But uh, it yeah. was it was a good multitask uh, show. Uh yeah, just again, weird shit. This and I would say, weirdly, uh, watch both. I think the Prime this series was actually better than the Netflix one. I felt like felt like it was Ooh, better produced. So, to pick. Yeah, I'd actually say this one. I feel like this one was the the better one out of the two but i would say if you liked one or the other and we're like fuck this is just such an interesting but also fucked up um thing that's happening uh should i watch that one the answer is yes like i I don't feel like i got redundant information there are different interview subjects there's different main characters if you will um in both different angles other than the main two um people obviously um the rest of the people they're talking to and stuff are, are different it, the funniest thing is also there's a person they talk about in the amazon series who has their face like blurred out and they're talking about oh this one person this happened to them while in it i'm like that person's in the netflix series but obviously they're blurred out because they had signed to the netflix one but they hadn't signed to this one you know I mean? like it's, so interest some interesting stuff there but yeah i would i it's hard to say i recommend checking it out because it's very weird um and goes over a lot of like really fucked up abusive shit that happens in cults but um yeah it is interesting okay uh so i watched brawn the impossible formula one story uh which follows the brawn gp team in 2009 as they go on to win the uh the world championship i don't think it's a spoiler to say that they yeah that's it i don't know they won that season i mean it's 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 a classic underdog story um, it's really interesting because obviously the setup for the season is the team used to be Honda, but then the 2008 financial crisis hit. No one's buying cars anymore. So Honda had to do a bunch of cutbacks. They're like, we can't afford to run an F1 team. So we're going to have to shut it down. Um, but the team principal and a bunch of the engineers were like, uh, well, one, they couldn't like just shut things down. They had to like give everybody three months notice whatever before they could do that um which would technically have gotten them to the first race so they're like oh we'll try and get a new owner for the team that kind of falls through because it's a bunch of sketchy people trying to uh get kind of like a cash grab at the time like no one would like clear cut plans buy it and shelve it as a tax write-off well maybe yeah (laughs) uh but like trying to get it on the ground floor on some while the going's good or whatever um so the team principal's uh, is like we'll buy out the company, and Honda agreed because of, they they felt like they owed owed it to them or whatever. Um, 
But the thing is, like, the previous... This is... The, for the 2009 season of the F1, there'd been a bunch of rule changes, um, and the Braun team was able to utilise a bunch of the rule changes by thinking of the rules in a different... Interpreting the rules in a different way, they are able to engineer their car to be much faster than everybody else's, at least at the start of the season. Um, so they won, like, the f- six of the first seven races of the season. Um and that kind of stuff. So it kind of follows the the team. Uh, everybody's talking about the the year and like uh, follows like pretty much race for race what what happened and that kind of stuff. Um, interviews with all the drivers and a bunch of the other competitors. Um, it's really interesting because Christian Horner is like featured heavily in this. Obviously, everybody knows him now, I guess, from Drive to Survive. Um, of uh, Keanu Reeves hosts, and he's like actually very engaged. Obviously, he's like. He's been given heavy notes, like because he he conducts all the interviews and everything. Um, but uh, he's been he's like constantly references that he's been given a lot of notes about the people that he's about to interview and that kind of stuff. But he he's very engaged and he's a very good interviewer and that kind of stuff. So it's even that's very interesting, like seeing um, Keanu in this kind of role, uh, which is quite different. So, but yeah, just a really interesting story. So I think this is definitely worth checking out, uh, especially if you're interested. If you're an F1 fan, you know, this is a cool story to, uh, you know, because it's a classic underdog story. This is a team that shouldn't have, they barely scraped into the season uh, and they won it all. So what more could you ask for? Uh, then I also watched Maxine's Baby, the Tyler Perry story, uh, which is a documentary about Tyler Perry, the uh, American filmmaker, uh, best known for his character, Medea, um, who kind of... Uh, came from nothing up to becoming like one of the the most influential i guess filmmakers in america um yeah kind of follows his uh life story starting as a from a childhood where he was pretty much abused by his father beaten all the time and that kind of stuff um but just very very dark dark childhood um to finding his love for the dramatic arts he ran a play for like several, like was trying to do a play for like six years or something like that, constantly failing. Um, eventually, he finally gets kind of his big break. Just for some reason, this he takes it to another city and it kind of clicks. Um, and that kind of stuff goes into the, his history with the Medea character. Um, and like, uh, he's like, I didn't realize... Like, going in, I didn't know much about Taylor Perry other than, obviously, you know, he makes all the Medea movies and they're, like, very successful with black audiences. He has his niche uh, and that kind of stuff. Um, But he was doing theatre for, like, several years, like, doing, like, 300-plus shows a year. Um, Like, he was very on the forefront of, like, social media. He had, like, a newsletter on his website that would enable him to pretty much sell out any show that he announced, like, before it was properly announced because of that. Um... And obviously, he like got into television after that, and like, oh, and films, um, and like has his own, had his own like vision of how he wants. He wanted control over how he did things and that kind of stuff, um, and how you know he kind of worked outside of the system, uh, the Holly, the classic Hollywood system, um, and was making movies that made like a ton of money despite like nobody kind of knowing who he was and that kind of stuff. Uh, and then eventually, him. Uh, creating this massive Tyler Perry Studios in a, on a former uh, Southern army base, and like it's like 
him being like a key pillar in Georgia becoming like um kind of uh one of the massive film industry states in the US and that kind of stuff. Uh yeah. Really interesting, I guess. I, I feel like there's certain elements I would have liked them to have uh delved into more. Like there is the there is some criticism of him playing Medea, uh him being like a, a straight man dressing up as a woman and that kind of stuff that isn't really addressed very much. Um especially in this I guess this day and age. Um but it's like the criticism is coming from like in the in the documentary it's coming from like the very far extreme right, like a bunch of protesters and that. So you're like, yeah, I don't like them, so I mean I'm sure it's fine. That kind of stuff. And then they have like a, a segment with uh Spike Lee, like an issue talking about Tyler Perry and how he's he's like kind of exploiting the black experience and that kind of stuff. Uh, and not it's what Tyler Perry's making is not real cinema, um, and that kind of stuff. But that also isn't really addressed, other than you know, it sucks that that criticism was leveled against me and that kind of thing. It doesn't didn't really go into why he thinks what he does is real cinema. He's more concerned about just being what people being entertaining content, I guess. Um, but yeah, really interesting. But like, there's some pretty dark stuff in there as well about. Yeah, his father and the UC kind of suffered. Um, but yeah, really interesting. Check it out on Prime Video. Uh, Dylan, you went on a bit of a horror kick, unsurprisingly. Uh, you watched Sick. Sick. Oh, the horror movie. I was fucking... Yeah, right. I literally said you went on a horror... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like... Sick. No, you watched Sick, the, the rom-com. I was like, what the fuck? Um... Yeah, so it's hard to it's hard to describe something that's So this movie is I've been looking forward to watching it. It took forever to get somewhere to watch it in Australia. Um, because it was written by Kevin Williamson, who is the um writer of the original screen movies and stuff. So uh this is a film about COVID, <laughs> which is a weird thing to say, but it's oh. so that's why it's called Sick. Um, even though for some reason my mind a second ago completely forgot what this film was. But um, the setup is basic. Well, the movie does the typical slasher thing where it starts with someone getting killed and then like you introduce 10 minutes later, you know, t- that's the first 10 minutes and then they die and you're like, oh, that's a killer. Cool. All right, cut to our main characters, two girls who are going out to, um, uh, it's like right when COVID's kicking off, they're just going to go out and stay in this like cabin or whatever in the middle of butt fuck nowhere where... Um, they're one of them's parents own it or you know some shit like that anyway they're out there chilling and then one of like the boyfriend shows up and that's all like a jump scare at first because you're like oh it's the killer but it's actually the boyfriend uh and then the killer like shows up and starts like terrorizing them and all that sort of stuff uh but yeah the 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 movie is all like sort of that for, for playing around COVID. it's it has a really funny twist that i think i'll tell you after we're done recording because it's fucking <laughs> hilarious and i feel like it's either like a make or break moment i think considering the writer um it's obviously you know it's from the writer of scream this is it's not a horror comedy like it is still like mostly a horror movie however i definitely feel like that this this element of the film is purposely meant to be quite silly and and stupid um which it was and it worked for me i was like this is just fucking dumb but <laughs> it's but i was like you know fucking it, it, it's working so uh, it's fine it's 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 a fun slasher without anything super exciting for the most part until like that the final like sort of twist towards the end yeah 
Awesome. Uh, and then you also watched The Wrath of Becky. Uh, yeah, so I've been looking forward to watching this one too because I watched the original one, whatever that was called earlier this year. I think it was just Becky. I believe it was called Becky. Was it just Becky? Yeah. Um, yeah. So then you've got, yeah, so Rafa Becky is the one that came out this year. Um, and I remember watching the trailer and being like, oh, fuck, I should go back and watch Becky, which I did. And I enjoyed it. And I think I talked about it here and saying it was um, a yeah. lot of fun. So uh, this one, different directors uh, and stuff. So I was like, I don't know, will it be as good? I by the end of this movie, I was like, "Please keep making these. These are these are just. I'm very much enjoying this this series. Um, this one is. It has like a whole like comic drawn sequence at the start where and there's a weird sequence where it's like Becky pretending to be like a real nice girl so can she gets out of custody of the police and stuff. Um, and then she like gets adopted by this family and then proceeds just the first night there when she's like tucked into bed and she's like, oh my God, let's like say our prayers. And like, she's trying to be like the most over the top nice girl ever. So they leave her alone. And then she just breaks out of the house and like runs away with a dog. Uh, and then the movie like skips ahead a couple of years later. Cause she, she's now staying with this, um, I can't remember the character's name, but this, this older woman who like doesn't ask her too many questions because you know she like becky has a job and she's like pays her dues and like she's she's a little bit weird and obviously she's got like a past and stuff like that but they're, they're just two people who get along and they're, they're happy to, to do that um but becky runs into some more fucking neo-nazi types because <laughs> that's the oh don't you <laughs> continuing trend of these movies um so it's like a group of three dudes who come through um and they go to a workplace very much like making a lot of this movie is making fun of the like heavy men's rights sort of obviously trump inspired um groups and stuff that uh, uh pop pop up all around america um or australia whatever pick the pick the one pick the big one that comes to your names it's you know it could be that it could be a different one. but um so they come through and it's all like oh darling this and whatever and they make fun of her and she like spills coffee on one of them uh and then they follow her home that night and then they end up like killing this old lady so the ones she'd been staying with and this is sort of like the that's the setup because then they go they'd come into town to go see this dude who's called daryl who's like the leader of the the gang or whatever. And he's played by Sean William Scott, which is really weird because this movie, again, continues a thing of let's cast the lead villain as like a, a comedy actor because the last one was uh, Kevin James in the first one playing this neo-Nazi dude. So just a trend for these films apparently. Uh, but they, so he's like about to put on this like huge rally the, the, like the following day or whatever. And um, yeah, a bunch of like men's rights sort of Nazi type dudes. I'll tell you what, the funny without like, and then yeah, so Becky just goes on a re- revenge mission at that stage. Um, she, I like the first film, she's like propagating the violence now. The first film's like about her surviving. This one's just, I'm fucking kicking these motherfuckers' ass. Uh, but it's a lot of fun. It's not a super serious movie, you get a lot of fun kills in it, but like they're gory, but not in a way that's like meant to be like like scary gory it's just like fun gore like there's a lot of blood but it's meant to be like over the top and silly there's even a sequence at one stage where she's like chasing down this dude and she like he's he's like no no like please don't and she's like bursts out of this fucking farm on a tractor like laughing manically she's like oh and then like at freeze fame she's like i wish i'd done that but i couldn't find the keys so then like rewinds and just she just like comes out with an axe instead. <laughs> like it's just like so it's just like a lot of silly things. And I, I tell you the funniest fucking part of the movie is <laughs> this dude is like begging for his life. He's like, please, if you let me live, I promise I'll be like the best. I'll raise I've got a son. I'll raise him to be like respect women. I'll raise him to be the best dude ever. And she like stops and she goes, What's your son's name? And the dude goes, Fuck. 
<laughs> Adolf. <laughs> <laughs> and she just fucking goes ham on this scene with this accent. I mean, the, yeah, the, the movie definitely works for me. I, I, I find it very funny. So <laughs> this took a lot of mine. And by the end of the movie, um, they introduce, actually, I did not know this going into it, but, you know, Kate Siegel shows up at the end. Obviously, I'm a big uh, Kate Siegel uh, fan from the the many th- things she does with her wonderful husband over there on Netflix and other, everything else, but um, she turns up as a character at the end. I'm like, oh, cool! So now, <laughs> when they hopefully make the third one, she'll be like a main character. And like the, the direction they're heading in the third film, I'm like, you yeah, know, this is ridiculous. Again, add it to the list of things I could tell you off air, but like, it's yeah, give me another one. I'm keen. All right, let's move into the mandatory Netflix segment of the show. Over on Netflix, they've just released. Scott Pilgrim takes off a uh, new series based on the Brian Lee O'Malley film, uh, graphic novels, uh, featuring the cast of the 2010 Edgar Wright film. Uh, you've got a review up on ExplosionNetwork.com. You gave it a 9 out of 10 and said, at its simplest, this is a pop- soda pop animated series that flows from one episode to another, pulling you in with a new spin each time. I can't wait to discuss the series more with people who, as they watch the episodes, I'm especially interested to hear from those like myself who had thought their love for Scott Pilgrim may have worn off with age. Dylan, have you enjoyed talking about the series with people? Yeah. Yeah. So we do the spoiler cast. Um, yes. So you can, everyone should listen to that, obviously. Um, and then seeing everyone's reaction on social media as the series released, both in reviews that dropped on embargo which some I thought were a little bit too spoilerific. Like, at least give it that, like, 24, 48 hours for the, the people who were excited to watch this to discover it themselves sort of thing. But, um, and then it's, even this morning, I saw someone uh, tweet something like, I can't remember who it was. It was Australian um, journalist, but I can't remember which one. Um, no, never mind. Um, they said, you know, like, I went in, you know, I started the Scott Pilgrim series thinking it would just be, like, an adaptation of one of my favorite comics, and it turned out to be something so much more better and whatever else, so... Uh, yes, it's been really exciting seeing how people have been reacting to it. And also, it's really hard to talk about without spoilers, and I'm still don't want to do that. Like, if you've watched it, go watch our uh, listen to our podcast. But um, I, there's been a lot of vitriol, I guess, from the other side, which I find very, very funny. Yes. Uh, and I've seen people bring up things like, this is why you can't, this is why trailers are made the way they are these days. And people complain about trailers like showing too much is because then you don't get shit like this where people know people You're get surprised. the whole thing they get everything revealed for them and then they go and they can know if they like it or what and they, you can't have any surprises they know before they even yeah they know if they like it before they even before they it. even see it and that's sort of sad like but yeah yes this is a fantastic tv series beautifully animated um i i think we can say that it is not a one-to-one adaptation if that's what you're expecting going in, if that's what you want, that's not what this is. Um, so be warned in that regard. Uh, but yeah, it is fantastic. Just uh, check out, watch the show, listen to Spotcast, um, because yeah, it's a fantastic. And on the yeah, seeing a lot of the vitriol, like people have just flat out said what the show is. So I mean, you know, be careful on social if you social care, media yeah. if that if you care if you care. Um, but uh yeah it's interesting interesting to see the reactions from people um it'd be 
I want to see how many people are angry about this and how many pe- how many of those people hate The Last Jedi. Because I feel like it's a very similar. Yeah, I think there's a cross. Uh, yeah, that would be a cross. Th- that would be like uh, not a circle, not a Venn diagram, a circle. Yeah. But the, the weirdest <laughs> thing about this one is I'm saying people are complaining, like, they fucking ruined it. I'm like, it's the same dude. Like, it's written by the yeah. author. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, he was heavily involved. He's already made remarks that are kind of just... just disputes a lot of claims that have been made and uh you know he says something that you know i guess these people can kind of hold on to and pull you know saying it's like it's a separate timeline or something like that so um yeah check out so our program takes off it's fantastic great music as well mm. i've been listening to the soundtrack the last few days yeah tell you, it's all from that video game most of it's from the video game so yeah good shit but even the the couple of songs they have, yeah, the new ones, yeah. the like uh, the actual yeah. singing ones, yeah, yeah. Uh, Dylan, you've been watching. You watched uh, the latest Adam Sandler animated film, Leo. I did. I started working on a review. Um, I think I'm about a seven. Should post. It'll be up by the time you're listening to this. Um, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. the The weirdest thing about this movie, so for people who don't know, this is like so. It's a movie about it's. A, it's obviously you know aimed at families and kids, but it definitely falls into that realm of also. There's a lot of adult jokes because I guess Adam Sandler, but also like I guess thematically, it feels like it's targeted more at like teaching a lesson for parents than um, kids, and kids can just enjoy it because it's like a talking lizard. But the the uh, <laughs> the core thing of the movie is it's a you got a lizard, Leo. Uh, and his uh, school pet lives in a you know a tank or whatever with uh, a turtle who's voiced by um, Bill Burr, and his name's Squirtle, which I don't know if this Pokemon reference or not, but um, the pretty sure pretty it sure it has to be surely. Yeah, I mean, there's actually it has to be because there's a Nintendo Switch in this at some stage as a kid, and it's not they didn't do that thing where they like made a video game console just look, look generic, so it was no branded. It clearly says like Switch on it. I'm like, okay. Um, okay. Yeah, so Leo, like, uh, at the start of the movie, the, 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 it starts with a musical. I'll say straight away. There are several songs in this, which I don't recall being any, like, part of the marketing, but there's, like, no. <laughs> they don't mark, they don't mark musicals anymore. Yeah. No, yeah. they really don't. This, so, yeah. This, mean Girls. Mean Girls. Yeah. <laughs> thing. So it starts with a song. There's actually a few songs throughout it. Um, so I don't want to say it's like a full musical, but it's definitely got a couple songs, which was quite interesting. Uh, yeah, so it starts, uh, the, their main school teacher, like, leaves because she's got pregnant, so how dare her, which becomes a joke because one of the parents is like, for fuck, like, not for fuck's sake, but he's like, this is bullshit, like, how dare she? It's like, um, so then they get this really shitty old teacher come in who's, like, terrible and mean and she sucks all the fun out of the classroom. Uh, and then she's like, no, we're going back to old school. You got to take home the pet. And everyone's like, no, we hate the pet. We don't take it home. Uh, but then, like, the first person takes home Leo and then Leo accidentally talks in front of this girl. And then she's like, holy fuck, you can talk. And he's like, it's a... <laughs> <laughs> um, but this isn't that thing of... It's a special kid who can talk to animals. It's just apparently in this world, like the animals can talk. They just, you know, it's that thing where they choose not to talk in front of humans. Like it's a secret. It's like toys and Toy Story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just a, it's a big secret thing. So, um, yeah. So then he's like, oh, like it will just be our secret or whatever. And then because she then goes back to school and was like, oh, Leo's the best. And another kid's like, well, I want to find out why Leo's the fucking best thing ever. So then another kid takes it and he just, anyway, Leo just ends up talking to everyone. But he keeps just telling all the kids like, <laughs> like, you're special. I'm only talking to you. Um, and weirdly he becomes, act- he, it's Adam Sandler doing like a weird Adam Sandler, like 
voice oh my name's leo and i like that sort of voice that he does so Um, yeah yeah. um he's doing that whole thing and he becomes like a weird psychiatrist for all these kids and starts like solving all their problems and um stuff like that but (laughs) this is why i'm saying a lot of it sort of weirdly falls back onto the parents because a lot of the i guess the subject matter seems to be around and the stuff affecting the kids is just the kids' inability to just be kids. And they're, like, so worried about evil social norms pushed upon them by their parents or um, their other kids in class and stuff like that. So, you know, he begins breaking out, helping older kids get along with one another and, like, looking past, like, being afraid to have their shirt off because they've got a one hair that's grown on their little 10-year-old body and, like, all these, like, weird things. And one of the kids has a, a fucking drone that follows them around because their parents are so afraid they're going to get, like um diseases and stuff like that um at one stage like a, a girl like sneezes and the drone like pushes them nine feet back and chucks a mask over their face so you know, like it's it's like all these weird things that happen throughout it um and yeah like so all the kids fall in love with leo and stuff happens after that for the, but that i mean that's basically the, the, the setup for the film but um animation wise i thought it was decent it it sort of has that same what was that apple movie that was like decent um but like nothing super exciting that was uh, about luck or whatever lucky i think that's what it's called right it was luck luck yeah so that one which i thought like the, the animation that was like eh, it's fine like nothing special this has that to me i'm like it's mm. it's fine like i like it does the job but it definitely doesn't feel like anything they didn't artistically yeah it doesn't stretch feel, themselves yeah it definitely doesn't feel like it's just yeah it doesn't really feel like anyone's trying super hard in, in the animation front but that said the oddest thing about this movie is it just, I feel like everyone, there was a bunch of ideas thrown at a whiteboard and they're like, fuck it, let's just do all of them. Because it's, you've got this like sincere story about like kids getting over their fears and whatever else and happening in like this weirdly adorable relationship between a green lizard and a bunch of 10 year olds. And then you've got like musical sequences that happen throughout. And I mean like all in like musical sequences where it breaks reality and there's talking clocks and like walls falling back in houses like they're part of a set and no one ever talks about that and it's just forgotten about like they just go all in on these things like it's nothing and then there's like really weirdly drawn kindergarten characters like they're from like from a a different artistic team because they've got i i don't like i just feel like there's like so many different elements but it it, it's 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 fun it's fun. It's just, it really does feel like a smorgasbord of, we don't know if we want to be like this ultra sincere family kids movie or sort of a weirder thing targeted towards like adults. I guess that's the, like the. Interesting. That's yeah. So Leo releasing today at day of release. I think so. Yeah. Like should be out yeah. like an hour before this drops or something. Like that. I don't know. I think that's how it works. Yeah. Something like that. Something like that. All right. That's everything I watched history. Let's move into a bit of film news. Uh, so this has been an interesting one. Uh, Vien- La Vienne Robots? More than 60 years after her death, legendary French singer Edith Piaf uh, will come to life in a new biopic that will use AI to recreate her voice and image. Warner Music Group announced that as part of Piaf's estate for Edith, set to be a 90-minute film set in Paris, New York from the 1920s to the 1960s. The film will be narrated by an AI-generated facsimile of Pierce's voice and promises to uncover aspects of her life that were previously unknown. Animation will provide a modern take on her story, while the inclusion of archival footage, stage, and TV performances, personal footage, and TV interviews will provide audiences with a authentic look 
at the significant moments of PF's life, the music company said in announcing the project, uh, Warner Brothers Entertainment is working with the production company seriously happy to develop the biopic, a proof of concept that had been developed has been created, and the Warner Brothers Music Entertainment plans to team up with the studio to develop the full length film. According to Warner Music, AI technology trained on hundreds of PF's voice clips and images, some of which are over 80 years old, will allow for her distinct voice and image to revive to further enhance the authenticity and emotional impact of her story. Recordings from original songs will be included in, in the film. Edith is based on an original idea from Julie Viel, written by Viel and Giles Marillac. The duo are working alongside Warner Music Entertainment president Charlie Cohen to bring the script and AI technology to life through the feature film. Catherine Glavis and Christy Lamel, executives of Edith Piaf's estate, said, It's been a special and touching experience to be able to hear Edith's voice once again. The technology has made it feel like we're back in the room with her. The animation is beautiful, and though through the fil- this film, we'll be able to s- show the real side of Edith, her joyful personality, her humor, and her unwavering spirit. Dylan, is this a fucked up <laughs> story? Yes. Yes. I don't know what else you want to say. Yes. This is like everything we fear, I feel. This is humanity's fears. I guess my question is, how are they able to do this? Well, legally, they must, someone must have signed off, right? I don't know. Yeah, I thought they, they literally just put these protections in place. Yeah. <laughs> to like, I guess because it is completely an AI, mm. they didn't technically cast somebody for the role, so I mean... Mm. The protection, you know, and I guess they're technically getting the the stuff from the estate, but yeah, this this is especially feels weird and wrong. Um, if you're doing like mm. robots deserve rights too, yeah, and it's not exactly cl- to be fair for this article, it's not exactly clear what kind of film it is. There, it they specifically say biopic a bunch of times, then they bring up animation, and then using live action like interview footage and that kind of stuff. So there's a documentary, and they're just using her voice to narrate it. Um, that's also weird because obviously we covered the Anthony Bourdain story where they like AI'd two lines, and everybody chucked their shit shoot. about that. Yeah. yeah. So this is like the next extreme level of this. Mm. Um, and also the craziest thing about this story, um, of course, people may or may not remember. Um, discussing her voice pf has been the subject of several documentaries and films including 27 2007's la vie and rose starring marianne coltiard in an academy award winning turn as the french songstress so it's not like her story hasn't been told before and people haven't like heard interpretations of her voice before uh yeah this is just weird and like it just seems very weird to do this project now Right on the end of the actor strike, when technically they have not ratified the their agreement or anything, but mm. yeah, it just kind of feels gross across the board. Yes, it does. I don't like it, oh. um, but also I guess uh, it's ultimately this is what they want, right? Because it's it cheap, easy content to make, right? We assume, assume, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, interesting. It also like it's just one music group that's involved, not like. <laughs> Warner Brothers. Mm. Um, so yeah, it'll be, it's, this is like a very weird project that uh, I guess we'll see if it actually comes to fruition or not. Or somebody, they like shut down due to backlash or whatever. 
Uh, on the weekends, there was the Contenders Film Los Angeles event in which Creed producer Erwin Winkler announced Creed 4 is in the works with franchise star and Creed 3 director Michael B. Jordan to helmet. Uh, he said, we are planning to do Creed 4 now. We have a really good story and a really good plot. We got a little delayed because of the strikes, but about a year from now, we're going into pre-production. Uh, of course, uh, Creed 3, early this year, grossed more than $275 million at the worldwide box office. Uh, Winkler confirmed Jordan will return to director after his feature helming debut on Creed 3. He did a great job. He was comfortable with the camera. Uh, yeah. So we're getting Creed 4. Yeah, and I don't know. We're dodging spoilers still, I guess. But obviously, we talked about end of Creed 3, like directions that franchise could, could head in. But um, I mean, even though it's technically titled Creed, it may or may not be about Adonis, I guess. It could be. A, well, never says which Creed. Yeah. So. But, you know. Which I know, like, I, I know oh, which story I'd be more interested in at this stage. So. Okay. I guess, but also that would include a significant time jump that uh, yeah. would be the only thing against it, I guess. You know? You could go, like, to teenage and, like, make it there. I guess. Okay. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, we loved Creed 3 um, at the time. I don't know how it's aged now with the... What's the word? Dissidence? Well... You have to have involved. Yeah. It's got a, it's obviously it's co-stars a bit. It's soured by the involvement of Jen, Jonathan Majors yeah. uh, and what's come out about him. Um, but you know that was like very creatively interesting, um, visually interesting. Like Michael B. Jordan had clear yeah. ideas of what he wanted to do, especially the fight um, sequence. Obviously, the especially the fight sequences. Um, and yeah, like. I'm also glad there's no mention of Sylvester Stallone, and there probably will not be any involvement of Sylvester Stallone, even though p- people desperately want him to come back. Um, yeah. Creed 4. Very interesting. Uh, <laughs> so did you see this story earlier for the weekend? Uh, Wallace and Gromit and creator Ardman has denied that it has had a close shave with its clay stock. Mm, I did see this. Uh, so on, on Monday afternoon, the iconic British animation studio issues a statement denying that it's running out of materials to make future projects. It follows the Daily Telegraph reporting that Ardman only had enough modeling clay for one more Wallace and Gromit film after its main supplier, Nuclear Products, shut out up shop in March. Ardman said it's touched by concern over its future, but stressed that there was no need to worry because it plan it has plans in place for a smooth transition to a new supplier. Uh, in the statement, Artman said, we are touched about the recent concern over the future of our beloved clay creations, but wanted to reassure fans that there is absolutely no need to worry. We have high levels of existing stocks of modeling clay to service current and future productions, and much like Wallace in his workshop, we have been tinkering away behind the scenes for quite some time with plans to in place to ensure a smooth transition to new stocks to continue to make our iconic productions. So yeah. This is a story that kind of blew up over the weekend. Everybody freaking out that there would be no more, uh, you know, other than films because they didn't have any more modeling clay. But it seems we were I remember worrying I said, when it like it first popped up, I was like, I don't get it. Like, is clay hard get to get clay. now? Like, what's affecting clay? Where's clay come from? Like, are we outsourcing clay from other countries i'm pretty sure you can get it anywhere like i was very confused i'm pretty sure there's a lot of dirt yeah i was just <laughs> i was confused so 
So yeah, it's interesting the story blew up so much that Armin had to come out and allay concerns. Did you watch the trailer for um, the new ch- Chicken movie? Yeah, it just missed out on being comes to trailers yeah. this week. Well, anyway, double thumbs up. Yeah, it's pretty good. So okay. uh, yeah, that's exciting. Uh, Dylan, every week there's just so many stories about new projects and castings. Is there? We just don't have enough time to uh, delve into all of them. So we like to cover them in a segment we like to call Would You Want to Invest? So I'm going to list off a bunch of new projects or projects with new news around them. Dylan, he's going to let me if you would know if you would fully invest, partially invest, or not invest in these projects. And then time will tell if he was right or wrong. That's right. You usually say history will be the judge, I think. That too. <laughs> <laughs> history will judge if Dylan's right or wrong. All right. First up. Uh, it's been almost 13 years since James L. Brooks' last director of film, and it looks like fans of the Oscar-winning writer-director will soon have their wish granted as his next project nears production. Sources tell Deadline that not only has 20th Century come on board to book his next film, Ellen McKay, uh, but that Emma Mackey, Jamie Lee Curtis, Woody Harrelson, A. Edaberry, Albert Brooks, Kamal Nanjani, and Spike Fern are in negotiations to star in the pick. As one of the most emphatic dramatists of our time, James Brooks has set the bar across film and television for decades, said Steve Asbell, president of 20th Century Studios. Uh, the film will follow an idealistic young politician who juggles famil- familial issues and a challenging work life while preparing to take over the job of her mentor, the state's long incumbent governor. What's the name of the movie again? Ellen McKay. And what was the first star you read out there? Emma Mackey. Now say that three times in a row. Ellen McKay starring Emma Mackey. Ellen McKay starring Emma Mackey. Ellen McKay starring Emma Mackey. Yeah, I feel like something going on there. Double thumbs up. I'll uh, I'll, I'll <laughs> fully invest for the cast and involvement and all that sort of stuff. But that is a some casting a name right there. <laughs> I mean, there is two letters, three letter difference between the two. I mean, it's, yeah, pretty crazy. Paramount's highly anticipated The Saint reimagining is gaining some serious momentum as sources tell Deadline Doug Lyman is attached to direct and oversee the development of the film. Reggae John Page will exact produce and star in the pick. Uh, plot details are being kept under wraps and Rory Haynes and Sorab Noshivani are writing the script. Based in part on Leslie Charteris's 1920 book series and the subsequent 1960s UK TV series starring Roger Moore, The Saint follows Simon Templar, better known as The Saint, a Robin Hood-esque criminal and thief for hire who goes on a globe-trotting adventure. Uh, I'm, nah. I got, no, no, I, got, I got nothing for this. It doesn't tickle my bones. Kieran Hines and Odessa Young are among the cast joining Jacob Elordi in the Prime Video Australian original series The Narrow Road to the Deep North, a TV adaptation of Richard Flanagan's Booker Prize winning novel of the same name. Uh, also rounding out the cast are Olivia De Jong, Heather Mitchell, Thomas Weatherall, Sho Kasamatsu, Charles Ann, and Simon Baker. Uh, set against the shadows of World War II, The Narrow Road of the Deep North tells the epic story of Lieutenant Derink. Dorigo Evans and how his all-too-brief love affair with Amy Mulvaney shaped his life. The story is told over multiple time periods as we journey with from Evans' childhood to his experiences as president of war on the 
uh, Thailand Burma Railway as a young man and later in life as a respected surgeon and Australian war hero. What is it called again? The Narrow Road to the Deep North. What title? Um, yeah, I'll uh, I'll fully invest in that. Sounds good. Also, just you know, reminded me I was thinking of that. Did you see um, you see this Netflix one that's coming out, Boy Swallows Universe? Yeah, I've known about that for ages. <laughs> yeah, but did you watch the trailer? I didn't know there was a. Oh, I well, think there was a teaser. There was a teaser that released like a week ago. Anyway, yeah. Um, I I didn't. I completely forgot about it, and then I saw that, and I was like, "This shit looks pretty good." Hey, anyway, you just remind me because you yeah. said Simon Baker, so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, interesting. This this film uh, unites Elvis from Elvis and no Elvis from Priscilla and Priscilla from Elvis. Yeah. So Jacob Bellotti plays yes. Elvis. Yes. Priscilla. Okay. You got yep. And Olivia Jong plays Priscilla yep. and Elvis. Yeah. Mamma Mia, Brooke Dickinson is starring in a new horror movie. The Iron Maiden singer has signed on to star in Born of the Dead, which centers around an ABBA tribute band who finds himself, along with other tribute bands, trapped in a nightclub at the start of the apocalypse. Bjorn and his band must work together to save themselves, humanity, and the future of music. The film comes from director Elsa Kephart, who directed Slacks and was written by co-producer Aaron Dickinson based on an original story by Andrew Prendergast. That sounds ridiculous. Uh, fully invest. Keen as. That sounds so dumb it can't be bad, surely. <laughs> uh, and Slacks was all right. Slacks was a dumb movie about a pair of jeans uh, that killed people. Yeah. So, there you go. Incredible. <laughs> Ayo Ediberry and John Malkovich are set to star in Opus, a horror pick marking the first feature of writer-director Mark Anthony Green, which will be financed and produced by A24. The additional cast set for the film, which has uh, received an interim agreement from South Africa in production, includes White Lotus Emmy winner Murray Bartlett, Amber Mid-Thunder, Stephanie Sukunami, uh, Young Mazano, and Tatanka Means. Then there's Julia Lewis, uh, who was in talks for a role as well. While specifics uh, as to its plot are under wraps, the film will be released globally by A24, is said to center on an iconic pop star's return following his decades-long disappearance. Um, so what do we call it? Partial invest. Okay. Oscar Nom... Maria Makalova has signed on to star in the genre pick God's Country, marking the American directorial debut of Igor Abramenko, who directed Sputnik. Uh, the actress steps in for Melissa Barrera, Barrera who exited due to scheduling conflicts. Uh, she plays the role of a young woman who travels to Kentucky to meet her fiancé, subsequently uncovering something sinister beyond comprehension as her American dream curdles into a nightmare of biblical proportions. No, nah, I'm sick of biblical, biblical shit. I'm I'm going no. Let's have a break. Daisy Ridley has found her next project, a survival thriller from Zach Hilditch, director of Stephen King adaptation 1922. Uh, the film is a story about grief, loss, and the undead. Ridley plays Ava, a desperate woman whose husband is missing in the aftermath of a catastrophic military experiment. 
Hoping to find him alive, Ava joins a body retrieval unit, but her search takes a chilling turn when the corpses she's burying start showing signs of life. Uh, yeah, full invest. Mm. Sounds good. Stephen King, Daisy Ridley, why not? Well, Stephen King isn't involved at all, so. Well, I thought you said it was inspired by one of his shorts or something. No, I said... Oh, from the director of 1922, right, that's what Stephen King... Yes. Right, that director of that, that was good. I like that movie. Okay. Uh, Saoirse Ronan has found her next project in Bad Apples, a biting satirical comedy with thriller elements uh, for which Handway Films is launching worldwide sales at AFM, marking the English-language debut of Swedish writer-director Jonathan... Elsa, uh, the film is being produced by Pulse Films, uh, is targeting uh, spring 2024. Written by Jess O'Kane, Bad Apples adapts Rasmus Lindgren's debut novel, De Oskade. The film tells the story of Maria, a primary school teacher, during doing her best to inspire a class of 10-year-olds, but able, unable to because of one unruly and chaotic student. With her career in question and the child's behavior spiraling, she makes a series of bad decisions that leads to her accidentally taking and locking this bad apple in her home. Maria desperately tries to backtrack, but when the class starts flourishing and the staff and parents are thrilled with the improvement, she finds herself in a very complicated predicament. Wow. Uh, yeah, fully uh, fully vest. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Love films about locking up children. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Some of them deserve it. Last one. After his World War I epic, All Quiet on the Western Front, took home the Oscar for Best Foreign Film, director Edward Berger may have found his follow-up projects with one of the biggest action heroes of the century. Sources tell Deadline, Universal Pictures is looking to get back in the business with Jason Bourne, as the studio has begun early development on the new installment in the Jason Bourne franchise and Berger is in negotiations to oversee and direct the peak. Uh, Universal would not comment would not comment, and insiders close to the project say there is no script at this time and it's still in early development. Uh, if the deal closes, Berger would only be would be the only attachment at this time with no other talent on board, but insiders add that Matt Damon, who starred in four of the five films, would be first approached to return in the iconic role once a fit script is finished. I'm going to partial invest. I, only because this... I feel like we're going to get a lot more like this where because of the because of how this went for cinema, you're going to get a lot more like um, movies that may be easy box office money for studios. They're just going to try and push them through. Yeah. You know, known properties, known actors, known, yeah. Interesting directing choice. <laughs> Definitely an interesting directing choice. I mean, I really like that movie, but whatever. You would have picked him to nope. be uh, <laughs> directing a James Bond movie? No. Jason Bond, sorry. Same uh, all right. Yeah, that's everything for this week. Let's move into giving some thumbs to trailers. And of course, you can find all the trailers we're about to talk about in the show notes below. Uh, we're going to kick things off with uh, Anyone But You, directed by Will Gluck, starring Sydney Sweeney, Glenn Powell, Alexandra Ship, Gatta, Hadley Robinson, Michelle Hurd, Dermot Moroney, Darren Barnett, and Rachel Griffiths. Despite an amazing first date, B and Ben's initial attraction quickly turn sour. However, when they unexpectedly find themselves at a destination wedding in Australia, they pretend to be the perfect couple to keep up appearances. Dylan, what did you think of the trailer for anyone but you, despite it being based on the trailer for The Curse? Mm. 
It's crazy how they rip, rip that off. Yeah. Crazy. I think they should sue, personally. But. They might. Um, I'm going double thumbs down. I think it looks <laughs> stupid, but whatever. And something, nothing against, like, people involved, like Sydney Sweeney, but whatever. Just looks like a dumb romance thing that has, like, I think maybe just, like, the abundance of stupid Australian bits as well. Like, the fact that they're, like, apparently in the middle of, like, I don't know, a rock cliff face and there's a koala just chilling up there like that. I'm like, sure. And then they, there's a spider just magically, somehow. <laughs> like, you know, just like, whatever. No, it's two thumbs up for me. I enjoy the chemistry. I enjoy the premise. Uh, I enjoy the cast. Sure, it's a fun bit, but, you know, it's, it's for a cool, dumb set piece. You know, the complete overreaction of Americans. Why can you not think that's funny? You know, you threw all his clothes off, Dylan. They're bringing sexy back to cinema. Is they are the, bringing sexy back. That's the tagline, yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, I enjoy good rom com. If we can see one on the big screen, that's all good. So, uh, yeah, check this one is releasing in cinemas on Boxing Day. Next trailer is for Imaginary, directed by Jeff Wadlow, uh, starring DeWanda Wise, Tom Payne, Tegan Burns, Piper Braun, Veronica Falcon, and Betty Buckley. When Jessica returns to her childhood home with her family, she finds her old stuff there, Chauncey, and her stepdaughter Alice has grown attached to it. After Alice's behavior becomes concerning and the games that she and Chauncey play turn increasingly sinister, Jessica starts realizing that Chauncey is much more than the stuff there she believed to be. She believed him to be for all those years. Dylan, what do you think of Imaginary? I'll go one out one down. The funniest thing to me was that this trailer came out the same day they dropped the teaser trailer for Ted TV series. <laughs> it's like very weird to see two animal teddy bear trailers um, come through the inbox. Uh, uh, separate times. Yeah. Um, the yeah, but I mean, look, it's just another it's like Chucky or whatever else, Annabelle. I, it's just a toy. It's got some demonic shit in it. Could be good. Don't know. Blumhouse. It'll make money. This movie will make a lot of money next year. Mm-hmm. I mean, next year's Annabelle. So one up, one yeah. down. I'm one up, one down as well. Uh, I think it's a good solid trailer. I appreciate the little girl's tra- acting. Like I like like her in this and her fighting with Chauncey and that kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, I don't know how you sustain it. <laughs> and like the, all the weird lore they're introducing, I guess, in this, uh, the idea of imaginary friends and that kind of stuff. It's like, yeah. Uh, all right. So this one is releasing in Australian cinemas on the 7th of March. Next trailer, Merry Little Batman. Directed by Mike Roth, starring Jonas Kibreb, Luke Wilson, James Cromwell, and David Hornsby. After Damian Wayne is left alone in Wayne Manor on Christmas Eve, he trans- transforms himself into Little Batman to safeguard his home and rest and the rest of Gotham City from supervillains during the holiday season. Dylan, you said you were not interested in a Christmas Batman movie at all. What did you think of the trailer for Merry Little Batman? Uh... Double thumbs up. 
I think I think that animation style makes it for me. It's just so ridiculous, ridiculous fucking characters and voice actors involved in this, and Batman growing a beard and just—it's literally just Dad won't be home for Christmas, but Dad's Batman is stuck on the side of a fucking cliff somewhere. Um, <laughs> <laughs> fucking why not? Uh, yeah, it, it looked stupid, but in a good way. So yeah, I'm I'm keen. Yeah, this is two thumbs up from me. Uh, I think it's cl- it's. Based on the animation signs, you can't, like, it's definitely not a serious take. Um, I believe it's from one of the writers of Teen Titans Go, so, you know, he's got that kind of flavor to it, I guess, uh, but not the, like, rapid randomness, I guess, of, of that show. Um, but, yeah, I, I love the premise. I really love the art design and, like, the, the, the design of the different villains, like, very different to anything we've seen in anything recently. Um yeah, it's just got a really cool art style, and it's like, looks like it'll be a lot of fun. And you know, there's a bunch of cheesy jokes like, uh, "Do you want a partner?" And it's like, "No, need more of a sidekick," <laughs> and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, it looks like a lot of fun, so I'm excited to, to check this out. It's coming to Prime Video on the eighth of December. Next trailer is for Percy Jackson and the Olympians, developed by Rick. Ro- Rawdon and Jonathan E. Steinberg, starring uh, Walker Scoble, Leah Saver Jeffries, and Ariane Simhadri. 12 year old modern demigod Percy Jackson is coming to terms with his newfound divine powers when the sky god Zeus accuses him of stealing his master lightning bolt. With his friend's help, Percy must restore order to Olympus. Dylan, what do you think of this trailer for Percy Jackson and the Olympians? Rated R, Adam Copeland. Um, <laughs> the one, one shot. Uh, yeah, it looks good. I've watched the... I think I read the first couple books, and then I, I've i watched the first movie. I don't think I ever watched the sequel. Uh, so I'm keen, though. I like this world. I think it's fun. I think the younger casting is good compared to the, the initial movie. That's more in line with the actual series. Um, and then, yeah, Rick... Uh, Rick wrote... Redoran or whatever that he's actual author so he's like yeah. i remember when they put out the initial press release about this it was like hey unlike the other one this is like fully he's like heavily the, involved. The author's like fully involved he's heavily involved like he's this is this is going to be the shit so um jay ju plus is playing haters in this which i'm super keen to see because i cannot picture that at all so um yeah double thumbs up yeah there's two thumbs up for me i think uh it looks like it's really well cast it's got a fun tone uh just you know Percy being unable to do anything. I love that little scene of him trying to do archery and then like, should I shoot again? No, please God, no. Uh, and yeah, it looks like it's it's going to be a lot of fun. Visually, it's like, it looks pretty good for a, a series like this. It's like they've put a lot of time and effort into it. Um, the thing that really threw me is like the kid they got to play the even younger version of Percy at the start looks like it is actually a younger version of the person maybe it's his brother i don't know yeah they got that, that's really good casting uh but yeah just a really well-constructed trailer also the weirdest the most unexpected use of uh vance joy's riptide in this trailer as well just a really odd, interesting mix of that song uh yeah uh very excited for this one so this is coming to disney plus on the 20th of december last trailer for this week Madam Webb, directed by S.J. Clarkson, starring Dakota Johnson, Sydney Sweeney, Celeste O'Connor, Isabella Merced, 
uh, and Taha Rahim. Cassandra Webb is a New York City paramedic who starts to show signs of clairvoyance. Forced to confront revelations about her past, she must protect three young women from a mysterious adversary who wants them dead. Dylan, did you enjoy this Sydney Sweeney trailer? Um, I'll go one one down, to be honest. I think there's a lot of really bad dialogue, um, which is obviously the thing that internet's grabbed onto. As a core setup premise and stuff it does seem like fun though uh you know the seeing the future villain and like teaming up all the spider peoples and whatever so um was it like three four different different versions of like spider woman three, yeah. variants or whatever three yeah um yeah i'll go one up one down um i'm gonna go two thumbs down as a trailer it's not it's 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 not good I mean, I'm interested to check out the actual movie, um, but yeah, it's not edited very well. Uh, the yeah, obviously the dialogue's not great, <laughs> and like it's been memed. Uh, I feel like this is going to be the female Morbius. You know, everybody's going to be talking about it. Is anybody going to go see it? I don't think so. It's got some stars, though. I mean. Yeah. How many people are going to go see Sydney Sweet? <laughs> what? Maybe a lot after the, if depending on how well um, that other movie does. How many people going? are going to see Dakota Johnson? To be fair, do you know? I love, love Dakota yeah, Johnson. Yeah, she's great. Fifty Shades of whatever. She's wearing her own clothes in this one. Uh, so this, <laughs> and yeah, it's weird. Apparently, Adam Scott's playing Ben Parker. Yep. What's up with that? I don't know. Well, I uh, guess it's a it's a prequel Spider Man. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. It's 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 it. This is an odd one. I'm keen to check it out, but my expectations are low. Uh, but you know, if if the meme culture sticks around, you know, maybe it's a meme success. It's it's a minions minions two or whatever the the rise of Gru rather than a Morbius. But that was actually a good movie. Yeah, but a lot of people went because of the, the Minions memes. Because the memes? Yeah. So this is releasing in cinemas on 14th of February. Yeah. Perfect Valentine's Day movie. Yeah, why not? Alright, let's move into this week's top three. Definitely in the top three. So, of course, the actor's strike ended last week. So we're starting to get the first uh, bits of promotional material for different projects, upcoming stuff. But there was a whole swath of things that came out that we didn't get to hear from the actors about at all. So that's why this week's top three is top three people you want to hear from now the actor strikes over. Dylan, what's it? What's your, um, just before we do it, what's, has something, has someone posted something that you're like, because my, my answer is just seeing all behind the scenes of the fall of House of Usher and stuff like that. Well, I mean, that was kind of the kickoff point. Like, obviously we've, like, a, as soon as the strike was over, social media was slammed with a bunch of behind-the-scenes mm. stuff, so. Yeah. Yeah. So, what's your number three? Number three. I struggled with this, to be honest, I'll say. Number three is Tom Cruise. So, I have a better idea if the <laughs> next Mission Impossible movie is the last one or not. Hmm. Because I still don't know. I still don't fully understand. I don't think he knows. 
<laughs> I don't know if he knows. I just need him to talk and do his Tom Cruise thing, and then he can say about how great cinema is, and you know, like fuck streaming and whatever else. I don't know. Like, yeah, just need some Oprah Winfrey jumping on couch. Tom Cruise is what I need. I'm sure. Maybe. Well, depends if they're shooting or not. <laughs> uh, my number three is the cast of Gen V. Obviously, a pretty good success. Uh, I want to hear their experiences making that show. What was it like writing that massive penis? Out of context, that's a very weird sentence to say, but yeah. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Tell them what's the number two. <laughs> My number two is Vin Diesel. <laughs> is the next Fast and Furious the last one, or is it not? I'm confused. <laughs> like, <laughs> What's that spin-off? How's Jason Momoa? Do you get along? You know, I've got questions, so... <laughs> All right. Uh, my number two is the cast of One Piece. Uh, again, this is a, you know, I feel like I tackled it from like, oh, th- this is a bunch of people that I would like to get their flowers that didn't necessarily get their flowers when the projects came out. Um, so, you know, One Piece, massive success. Um, Netflix had like a bunch of banked promotional material before, mm. um, which was all very fun to watch. Uh, and I just want more of that, please. Because there are, the cast look like they're all friendly friends and stuff. So I'd like to see them interact more off camera and stuff. So that would be my number two. Dylan, who was your number one? My number one, I can tie into breaking news. Nicholas Holt has been cast as Lex Luthor. <laughs> so I need to see, and I need to hear more from James Gunn for the upcoming DC universe and his Superman film, because as someone who always used to be like super big DC fan, and I just need, I need, I need, I need help to get excited, you know? Like, I want to be excited. I'm not just giving it. Yeah. Are you excited I mean, that I, I, it I, isn't a story about fighting a bunch of Middle Eastern soldiers? Probably, yes. <laughs> Let's say that's probably a good idea, yeah. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I'm very optimistic about James Gunn's world and universe and DC, whatever, but I still have so many questions around, like, what actually matters, who who's coming forward, what films do or don't count what the Superman moves about. Can we actually get the casting more so now? Well, I mean, it started, as I said, like, yeah, as we started recording. Like of, yeah, Nicholas yeah. Holt confirmed. Yeah, so that got announced as we started recording. Uh, but yeah, that's number one. I just need, I need, I, I, get me excited about DC. All right. Uh, my number one is the teens from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem. Okay. Nah, you don't want that. Yeah, I do. I want to hear them. I want to hear them talk you, about their experience making that movie. No, you don't. You haven't seen the video? <laughs> no. There's a video. One of, one of the actors is uh, on t- the Twitter this week. For, oh, the, you uh, see the Dream Kid? I didn't, yeah. think was, I didn't think it was... It's one of the voice actors. <laughs> I don't think so. If not from the, the film. Nope, he's one of the kids. Okay, well, that's all. <laughs> maybe, the other maybe the other three, you know? <laughs> The other three were great. <laughs> okay. Or maybe, you know, he'd like to explain his, you know, being groomed by a much older man. Yeah, I, mean, I, got, I, got, a lot of, I got a lot of questions that I'll just leave <laughs> off. Yeah, maybe not that one. Maybe maybe that's not the one you want doing interviews right now. Dylan, oh, this week, what do you want to watch? Um, <laughs> I, was, I was still... <laughs> 
still lost back in that fucking segment two seconds ago. Um, I'd really like to watch the Royal Hotel that comes out this week. So, um, I can't remember if that's actually at cinemas or not, or we've passed that. And this is is this week Netflix? It's just in the calendar. No, I think it's at no, it's cinema. So, cinema. Um, yeah, I'd like to watch that, but I'm not going to be able to. And then my TV pick would be, I forgot to look for TV. Hold on. Um. My TV pick would be oh Hannah Hannah Waddingham home, home for Christmas is this week so there you go but get some Christmas cheer some actually Christmas. I'm not I'm not actually, like that I I I tell you what, I'll be honest and the TV stuff dropping this week that's the thing I'd I'd pick however I'm definitely not going to watch it this week I'll just save it for like in December okay yeah uh, so I'm looking forward to checking out Napoleon Cinemas which is getting wild reactions. Uh, and also providing excellent Ridley Scott quotes, uh, in which he is shit talking pretty much anybody and everybody. Uh, he says, you know, the French don't care about the, <laughs> the French are shit. Don't care what you say about them. Uh, saying he made four movies in the time it took Martin Scorsese to, to make one movie. Uh, and just generally, just you know, going off. So I'm excited to check out Napoleon. Uh, and then this week. We got a new episode of Doctor Who. So, I'm looking forward to that. Oh, yeah. Sunday. Sunday. At oh, some yeah, point, Sunday. we'll be getting Doctor Who. Mm. Finally get to see what's up with that face. Mm. So, yeah. Which we'll be discussing over on Fish Fingers and Custard, a Doctor Who podcast. Mm. But let's know what you're excited to watch this week. Uh, and who you want to hear from that isn't problematic potentially, by going to explosion.com slash Twitter, or jump into our Discord at explosion.com slash Discord. If you want to help us out here at What Do You Want to Watch, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser, leave us five stars, anyone can leave five stars, or just tell people about the show. And if you've enjoyed this episode, Thor's with Dollar, head on to our Kofi page at explosion.com slash supports. Alright, thank you very much for listening. Until next time, keep watching stuff, I guess.